0: My name is Abby and I want to thank you so much for taking the time to watch this message from the church We pray that you are highly blessed and encouraged. We would love to connect with you more at our website at www.thechurchokc.com Tonight we're in a series called Limitless and last week we talked about a limitless God And It was just a an awesome uh, an awesome time to just really think about how big our God is and if earth was a golf ball and all that good stuff for those of you that were here last week you'll you'll get that but tonight I want to talk about limitless grace that's something that we've been singing about all night long but in order to really understand the grace of God we have to understand two other things we have to understand the mercy of God But in order to understand the mercy of God, we have to understand the justice of God. And somebody penned this before, but this really makes everything concise and it kind of shows you where we're going tonight. Justice is getting exactly what we deserve, which in our case is death. Mercy is not getting the bad that we deserve. Again, death. But grace is getting the good. That we do not deserve. So you you think about it like this with all of our sins and all of our shortcomings and all of our failures, we deserve death. And God would be just and He would be fair in giving us death. But mercy is not getting the bad that we deserve. So even though we deserve death, mercy is God saying, okay, I'm not going to give you death. I'm not, I'm not going to punish you for the sins that you committed. But grace goes on top of that. Grace is not apart from mercy and grace is not apart from justice. Grace is like the frosting on top of the cake. Okay? Not only am I not going to give you what you deserve, which is death, but in place of the death, I'm going to give you something good. In Psalms chapter 7 verse 1, it says, God is a righteous judge and a God who feels indignation every day. You see, God's character is the benchmark by which all human behavior is measured. God always acts in a way consistent with the requirements of his character as revealed in his law. So if we want to know who God is, we can look in the Bible and we can see all of God's attributes. But the one thing that we know is that God cannot go against his very nature. Okay? And in this world and in this life, there's things that we understand. We understand that there is truth. That some things are just absolutely true. And if if something is true, then it cannot be false. Are you guys with me on that? Okay? All right? So if I say water is blue, okay? Water's blue. That means water cannot be orange or yellow or, you know, polka dotted, whatever, okay? There's some things that if they're true, then they can't be false. And God, if God is just, then that means that God cannot be unjust. If God is love, that means God cannot be hate. If God is gracious, that means that God cannot be stingy. There are certain things that God cannot go against himself. He keeps his word. He renders to all his creatures their due. Deuteronomy chapter 32 verse 4 says, He is the rock. His deeds are perfect. Everything he does is just and fair. He is a faithful God who does no wrong. How just and upright he is. Okay, so you guys are with me so far, right? One person is with me. You guys with me tonight? Alright. Alright, I know we're on the justice part and the fact that we deserve death, and it's, but feel free to say amen because it's still true. God cannot be bribed or corrupted because His judgments are grounded in His integrity, okay? So because He has all the facts at His disposal, He cannot be fooled. Alright, we try to do that sometimes, okay? God, if you just if you just let me get through this weekend i promise i will go to church i will sit on the front row one of my favorites is this god if you will just pay this bill i promise you next month i'll start tithing god if you just let this police officer not pull me over I promise I will turn off this secular music and I will put on some southern gospel. God cannot be fooled. God's sitting up there going, no you won't. No you won't. And when God pronounces judgment, he has the power to carry out the punishment. You see, when Abraham learned that God planned to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah, he argued That God could not destroy the righteous with the unrighteous. And this is what he said in Genesis chapter 18. Far be it from you to do such a thing. To put the righteous to death with the wicked. So that the righteous fare as the wicked. Far be it from you. Shall not the judge of all the earth do what is just. This is what Abraham is saying. All this judgment's coming down. And he stops for just a second. He said, wait a second. I know my God. I understand something that God is just. And it wouldn't be very just for him to take the righteous and kill them along with the wicked. I I know that God is not like that. And that's what he's saying there. See, God's attributes assure us of justice. If he were not all-knowing, how could he know whether or not we sinned knowingly? If he were not present everywhere at once, how could he know all the circumstances surrounding the issue before him? If he were not all-wise... How could he carry out judgment in a totally just way? 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 13 says, If we are faithless, do not believe, and are un- untrue to him, he remains true, faithful to his word, and his righteous character, for he cannot deny himself. Psalms 9, 7 and 8 says, But the Lord sits enthroned forever. He has established his throne for justice and he judges the world with righteousness. He judges the peoples with uprightness. Man. and and, and We have to understand this tonight. I mean, this is something that we have to get. That God is just. that, that, That God judges us. That he knows that he cannot be fooled. So when we, God, if you just pay the spill, I promise I'll tithe. No, no, he knows you won't. I mean, he, he sees beyond that. He knows the issues. He, he, he knows us inside and outside. He's all-knowing. He's all-present. He's all-wise. He gets it. And so whenever he hands down a judgment, we know that it is the right judgment. We know when something happens in our life, if we deserve death, We know that if God says we deserve death because of our sin, that we deserve death. You know, none of this, well, I'm better than that person, or I'm I'm better here, I'm, I'm here, I remember something I was told growing up is God does not grade on a curve, God grades on the cross. You know, when we're in high school... You always had that one person that made straight A's and ruined the curve for everybody, you know? Everybody else is like making a C on this particular test. And then somebody made an A, you know, and so we're all screwed because of her, you know? God does not grade on a curve. He's not like, okay, well, if nobody's really good, then I'll just elevate the class up to where everybody's good. That's not how God works. But, I love this. Psalms 86 verse 5. For you, O Lord, are good and ready to forgive our trespasses, sending them away, letting them go completely and forever. And you are abundant in mercy and loving kindness to all those who call upon you. For you, O Lord, are good and ready to forgive our trespasses, sending them away. See, this is the nature of God. Yes, God is just, and He hands down just sentences. And what He rules is the way that is supposed to be ruled. But at the same time of Him being just, He's also good and ready to forgive. That's His mercy. God is merciful. God is merciful. Ready to forgive our trespasses, sending them away, letting them go completely and forever. And you are abundant of mercy and loving kindness to all those who call upon you. Paul puts it this way in the book of Ephesians. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins. You were guilty. And you were judged in which you once walked, following the course of the world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy... Now think about rich. I mean, think about what it means to be rich. They... I just read in the news this week that there's a house in LA that just went on the market for a hundred and fifty million dollars a house there's a guy that lives in wanting to say it's Japan he just built the biggest house it's 28 floors it's one house the garage can hold 87 cars and there's 600 people that work full time to take care of his house that's rich okay some pocket change okay I mean when we think of rich you know you think of Bill Gates and you think of of Steve Jobs and you think of all these you know I mean like a lot of money but God is rich and mercy Love never fails, never gives up, never runs out. And because of the great love for which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. This is what he's saying to the church in Ephesus. He's saying, Look, you were dead, you were judged in your trespasses, you are guilty. And our guilt is limitless. I mean, our guilt is limitless tonight but in verse 4 but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us even when we are dead in our trespasses even though we were judged instead of giving us judge, judgment he showed mercy you know we have these songs and there was a song that came out Man, probably 10, 15 years ago. Um, I can only imagine. Anybody remember that song? I can only imagine what it's going to be like when I stand. You know, will I run to you? Will I sing? No, when we see God, when we experience the holiness of God, we don't jump up in his lap. We sit down and, and fall on our knees and we cry, Lord, have mercy. The prophet Isaiah said that. He said, he, he, he said you know, Lord, have mercy on me. I am a man of unclean lips this is what the presence of God does to us we cry out for mercy because when we get in God's presence what it does is it opens up our eyes to our judgment and to our guilt that's what God's presence does to us if I could put it like this good preaching doesn't make you take up an offering Good preaching makes you cry out, Lord, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. Because we understand our nature. We understand, like it says in verse 3, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and we're by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God being rich in mercy. God is a God, a loving God, who is ready to forgive you know, and this is the thing that we have to understand tonight is God doesn't look at us in the midst of our sin and say, "Okay, you're good enough for me to give you some grace. You're good enough for me to show you some mercy." No, God says, "You're guilty, but I want to forgive you." I want to show you mercy there's nothing you can do because you're already dead in your trespasses you've already been sentenced you're you you're, you're basically the trial is over you are done for you're just sitting in that cell waiting for the judgment to be handed out but God being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us even when we were dead in trespasses made us alive together with Christ by grace you have been saved Titus chapter 3 verse 5 says it like this he saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness but according to his own mercy by the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit he saved us he saved us we were drowning in the depths of our own sin in the depths of our own wickedness. And God throws us a life raft named Jesus. But it's not just a matter of pulling us to the boat. It's not just a matter of pulling us out of the water. It's a matter of taking it one step further. God didn't just make us alive, but he made us alive together with Christ. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. And a perfect example of this, and one of my favorite stories, and we're actually here in a couple months, we're going to go a little more in depth on this story. But in John chapter 21, starting in verse 15, this is where we find ourselves Jesus has completed his ministry. He's he's, uh, gone before the Pharisees and the Sadducees. He's gone before Caesar or Pilate. He's gone through all this kind of stuff. He's been crucified. He's been buried. Three days have passed. And now he's appearing to some of the disciples. And we have Peter. Now, we all know Peter. Peter was brash. And he would speak out a turn and he would cut people's ears off and all sorts of craziness, okay? Um, And as far as Peter is concerned, basically his ministry, his life is pretty much over. If if you notice that that whenever we find, whenever Jesus finds Peter here, Peter has gone back to the fishing boat. He's gone back to that past life. Peter has kind of given up on himself. The reason Peter has given up on himself was because we know Jesus told him, three times you're going to deny me. No, I won't deny you. I love you. You're awesome, Jesus. We know what happened. He denied him three times. So Peter's like, man, I'm done for. So Jesus finds him and Jesus is cooking on the beach and Peter sees him from the boat and jumps out of the boat and He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And, and Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. You know, this is, passage is typically known to as the restoration of Peter. This is when God restores him. Peter denied Jesus three times. So Jesus asked him this this three times. And and understand something. Jesus wasn't asking Peter because Jesus needed the reassurance that Peter loved him. It it wasn't a Jesus thing, okay? It was a Peter thing. This was God showing mercy and God showing grace to Peter. Peter, do you love me? Well, yes, I love you. Then feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me? Yeah, you know I love you. Then tend to my sheep. Peter, do you love me? Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And I can just see Jesus going, yeah, now you know it too. You know, and this is what we have to understand, and this is where God's grace comes into play. And stay with me here for a second. Is this, because we count ourselves out when we screw up. We count ourselves out. And we say, I, I, I've, I've tried the Christianity thing and I just can't do it. I can't, I can't beat this sin. I can't beat this addiction. I can't beat whatever I'm dealing through. So, so I'm, I'm done. And we forget, this is what we forget, that we still love God. We, we, we forget that, that, that no, I, I really do feel strongly about this. And we try to deny that. And so Jesus comes to us and he goes, this isn't for me, but this is for you. Do you love me? Do you love me? It's like he just keeps asking until Peter wraps his head around it. And then Peter's like, I do love you. I do love you. I, I, I do love you. I, I, I do love you. This, is, this is the restoration. This is how God restores us. This is the grace. That, you know, because of Peter's sin and because of Peter's denial... Jesus, God, should have left him on the boat. I gave you a chance. I gave you the opportunity to succeed, and you blew it. I'm hanging on a tree for you, and you can't even stand up to a 14-year-old girl. I was a youth pastor. Nobody can stand up to a 14-year-old teenage girl. I'm telling you that right now. I'm dying on a cross and you're denying me even by cussing and cursing my name and who I am because of what somebody else may think so yeah you go back to the boat and you just be glad I'm not striking that boat with lightning I mean if God is just (laughs) that's what Peter deserves and that's what we deserve when we mess up Jesus comes back to him to remind Peter dude it ain't over yet you still love me and I'm still a forgiving God and what I died for on the cross I didn't just die for the, cross, for the sins that happened before the cross I died for the sins that happened after the cross feed my lambs, tend my sheep feed my sheep Hebrews chapter 4 verse 16 says this, So let us come boldly into the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive his mercy and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. What we have to understand tonight when we're talking about limitless grace is that it doesn't run out. The old song tells us that it is amazing amazing grace how sweet the sound saved a wretch like me so we come boldly to the throne of our gracious God that we may receive his mercy his forgiveness and we will find grace to help us when we need it most when we need it most is when we fall when we need it most is when we fail when we need it most is when we totally miss the mark We go back to the song. How deep the Father's love. The the scripture that you may have the strength to understand how deep and how wide and how long. You can't outrun it. You can't fall beyond his grace and his love and his mercy. So the writer of Hebrews tells us this. Come boldly. Before the throne of our most gracious God. No, no, we've already mentioned Isaiah and how Isaiah said when he saw the Lord, he said, Have mercy on me, for I'm a man of unclean lips. But here in the New Testament, we see the writer of Hebrews to tell us to come boldly to his throne. Now, in that day and in that age, around the Old Testament, and when you have the kings and, and, and all of that, you know, if you've read the story of Esther, it alludes to this, but you don't just walk up into the king. You don't just walk into the throne room. If you walk into the throne room, your head will be de-separated from your body. <laughs> Didn't know if I was going to say it. Separated or decapitated, so I went with both. De-separated. Um... That, that, that is what is going to happen. So, so you don't just walk boldly into the king and say, hey, let's have a little talk. But what Hebrew, the writer of Hebrews is telling us is that we're going to come boldly to the throne of our gracious God, not because he's not just, because he is just, but also so that we can receive his mercy. So we walk boldly into the throne room and Jesus is sitting there and he says, here's the mercy that you need and here's the grace that you need. My death, my blood, my body that was broken for you, it throws open the doors to the throne room of God so that you can walk boldly, not because of your own doing, but because of my doing. And so you can find help, So you can find mercy, so you can find forgiveness, and so you can find grace when you need it most. And what we do as Christians and as people is when we screw up and we say we're not good enough, we don't want to go before God. We don't want to go and meet with him. We don't want to have that prayer. We don't want to have that talk. We seclude ourselves from church. We seclude ourselves from reading and doing the things that we know we should do because when we get into those things, it reminds us of our sin. It reminds us of our failures. Remember, we talked about in the beginning that the presence of God, when we get into the presence of God, it highlights all of our shortcomings. It's like the prerequisite for mercy and grace. And this is why... And like we read in Ephesians, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. What he's saying is this, is that when you think you're good enough to accept it, let me remind you that it is a gift from God. It's not your goodness, because when you get in the presence of God, you understand that you are not good. Husband, look at your wife. Wife, look at your husband. Look at the people in front of you, behind you, and just tell them, you are not good. Husbands, be smart. Do not say that to your wife. But he tells us, so let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. Because see, when we come boldly to the throne of our gracious God, and we get in his presence... He shows us and he says, you did screw up there. Let's just go ahead and come to terms with it. You are not good. But, there we will receive his mercy. So we go boldly. We own up. God, I screwed up. I totally messed up. Yeah, you did. But here's some mercy. Here's you Not getting what you deserve. Here's you finding your forgiveness. And then once all of that is out of the way, here's the limitless of God. The limitlessness of God. And his grace. We will find grace to help us when we need it most. Yeah, but God, you don't know how far I failed. You don't know how bad I messed up. How deep, how wide, How long, how tall is the love of Christ? You can't fall out of it. The only thing that keeps us out of this is that when we fail, we don't go boldly to the throne of our gracious God. When we stay secluded and we stay back over here and try to ignore what we've done, But tonight, because of our limitless God, we have limitless grace. And I love how the writer puts it in Romans chapter 11, verse 6. But if it is by grace, talking about our forgiveness in this whole life. If it is by grace, it is no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace would no longer be grace. And think about that. We talked about the fact that God is, can, can, has to be true to who he is. And this is what this is saying, that the only way for grace to be grace is if it's not based upon us. Because if it's based upon us, then it's not grace. Then grace would no longer be grace. Now, this is not obviously a free pass for us to go sin and do whatever we want to do because we know that God's love and forgiveness and mercy and grace is all there. St. Augustine of Hippo said it like this, the law detects grace alone conquers sin. The law detects our sin. It, 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 opens our eyes to the fact that we're not good and when we stay in the word when we stay praying when we surround ourselves when we listen to uplifting music and I'm not here to say that you have to listen to southern gospel music or you know I've been known to play some country and uh some Aerosmith you know I'm a cowboy. I know that's not Aerosmith, but that song came in my head. On a steel horse I ride, you know. I don't know if a preacher should be singing that song, you know, but I roll down the windows and I let it out, all right? So I'm not saying, but you know, there's something happens when we're listening to all this music that talks about sex and all this kind of stuff. It, it nulls us from music that talks about God. And this is what we talked about at the beginning in Psalms 145, the beginning of service. I will sing your praises. I will exalt you forever from here to eternity. We live this life to where we stay connected to God, connected to his presence, connected to who he is. Because what that does is that's quick to highlight us to when we're straying. The presence, the law detects our sin and our shortcomings. It makes us aware of that. So we're quick to run to his throne, to find mercy, to receive grace. The law detects grace alone conquers sin. The band would come back up. There's an old song that used to be sung all the time. And it goes, I'm not going to sing it. But I will read the lyrics I owed a debt I could not pay he paid a debt he did not owe I needed someone to wash my sins away so now I sing a brand new song amazing grace Christ paid the debt I could never pay we serve and worship and live and exist and find our being within a limitless God because of that we know that because he's all knowing and he's all seeing and he's all just and he's all true and he's all this kind of stuff that what he says is accurate it's the truth it's Absolute because he can't go against it. So when he says that he is just, he is just. But when he says that he is good and ready to forgive, he is good and ready to forgive. And this has always been, for some, a contradiction in the church throughout history, really, is the fact that if God is good, If God is just, if God is just, he's going to be fair. And so, the people who live for God for 60, 70, 80 years, they deserve more than the person who right before they hit the tree and crash their car, they cry out to God to save them. You see, God is just. And death is deserved. And you're absolutely right. Death is deserved that's why jesus came to be the bridge to be the mercy jesus christ is mercy incarnate jesus is the death he paid the debt that he did not owe he paid the debt that we owed and this is where the mercy satisfies the justice and that would be good that would be good saying okay yes Yes, I, I, I died so that you could have a better life. And I died so that you would not go to hell. But Jesus just didn't die so we wouldn't go to hell. He died so that we could have a full life. And so that the throne, door, the throne room doors to, to God's throne would be opened up. So that we could run in and find help and find mercy. And then he takes it a step further and says it's not just about not finding death. Not receiving death, but it's about finding life. I owed a debt I could not pay. He paid a debt he did not owe. I needed someone to wash my sins away. So now I sing a brand new song. Amazing grace. Because Christ paid the debt I could never pay. It is a limitless grace. doesn't matter how far you've fallen tonight. It doesn't matter what situation, what trial, it doesn't matter where you find yourself walking into this room. God's love is bigger, His grace is deeper, it is limitless. The Bible tells us that where sin abounds, grace does much more abound. Notice this grace does not take the place of sin. We're not substituting sin for grace. Grace covers our sin. It buries our sin. It stacks grace upon grace upon grace over our sin and our failures and our shortcomings. So with every head bowed tonight and every eye closed, nobody looking around, Tonight you walked in this room and you owe a debt that you cannot pay. Your relationship with Jesus Christ is not what it needs to be. doesn't matter if you've never accepted Jesus in your heart. doesn't matter if you have and you're backslidden or falling away or Whatever title and label you want to put on it. The fact of the matter is, is that if you were to die tonight, you cannot say with certainty that you'd wake up standing before Christ in heaven. You're never going to be good enough. You're never going to have it all together. And even after you get things right with Christ, You're still going to fall and you're still going to fail. God's grace is there to pick you back up again. And some of you need picked up tonight. So with every head bowed, every eye closed, and we're looking around, if you'd say, you know what, Brian, my relationship with Jesus is not what it needs to be. Tonight, you want to run into that throne room, find mercy, find help, find grace in your time of need. That's you, just right where you're at, just raise your hand. Just acknowledge. Okay, there's a hand. Anybody else? Over there. Anybody else? Okay. You can put that hand down. Now right where you're at, I want you to take the hand of the person on your left. Take the hand of the person on your right. Everybody holding hands. If you have to lean back a row, that's fine. If you have to lean forward a row, that's fine. You know, one of the beautiful things about the church is this, is that God God knew that we couldn't do it alone. So we're all in the same boat trying to make it to heaven, trying to take as many people with us as possible say, you know what, my relationship with Jesus is not what it needs to be. I I didn't raise my hand, but I just want to let somebody know. I want to acknowledge that I do want to make things right or that I have made things right with Christ tonight. If that's you, just go ahead and squeeze that hand. Now, if somebody squeezed your hand, I just want you to raise their hand up with yours. Okay, you can put them down. Here's what we're going to do. I'm not going to keep you long tonight, but I want to make sure that we we acknowledge this and that we have some time to get into the presence of god even more so than we already have what i want to do is when i count to three abby's gonna the band's gonna start playing and they're gonna start singing the song brokenness aside if you raised your hand or somebody squeezed your hand would you bring them down to the altar and just find a place let's just spend a couple minutes just hitting that throne room of god making things right tonight finding mercy receiving mercy and finding grace in our time of need If you don't come down to the altar, I ask that you just stand and sing with the band as we sing this song. So if you raised your hand or somebody squeezed your hand, on the count of three. One, two, three.